I want to speak about the uh, what's called the vipalasa, the distortions of perception. And also, Philia, and I've been thinking about what you have been asking yesterday about you know, if there are any instructions about enacting the ego consciously. I think this understood what you asked, right? Because, like, I think what's called like psychodrama or what's done, you know, in contemporary psychology to kind of exaggerate, you know, certain things, you know, and play them out. And then I think, you know, and through that one can become conscious, you know, for example, there's a lot of kind of suppressed anger, then people are maybe, you know, kind of instructed to take a cushion and really pound, you know, into the cushion until they get in touch with their anger. But then, you know, once they have gotten in touch with their anger and become conscious how much anger there is actually, you know, stored up under the surface, then they have to do something else. Because if they're constantly doing that, just get kind of more angry, you know, because the habitual <coughs> groove of anger in the mind, you know, gets just deeper. In the meditation, is the, according to the Buddhist teaching, is the teaching is the opposite. It's more like you refine your capacity to see, like by, for example, training the seven factors of enlightenment or training the five indriya, whatever list, you know, you you like, you know, there's many different ways of looking at the mind, training this capacity and then seeing clearly, you know, what's happening, the conditioning and the interdependence and the conditionality, you know, the dependence on circumstances. Suddenly, you know, somebody looks at me in a certain way and then my anger rushes up and, you know, I want to act out because I, it's painful to hold that strong rush of energy. So, you know, once we are in touch with it, we're not gonna, you know, kind of make it more. We go in the opposite direction. We kind of tune the instruments, you know, of kind of following up, you know, what's happening there, seeing the laws of nature operating, and then through seeing them, you know, we we can make better choices because what we we're gonna lose the fear of being not able to feel. You know, that's the most important thing to familiarize ourselves with that we can actually feel a lot of very intense feelings. It's not gonna kill us, you know, but it's hopefully killing the ego because we can see, you know, it's just energy arising and ceasing and just like the weather, you know, or waves on the ocean. So, you know, if we want to start tinkering around with the weather, which some people do, they just make a greater mess. So I think the best thing is to befriend ourselves and then, you know, when you have a job, if it's raining or snowing or sunshine, you, you need to go to work. and It's the same, you know, if there's rain, sunshine or snowstorm in the mind, you just be with it, you know, because it's going to end anyway. And that's what this, uh, you know, practice is all about, to kind of uh, train ourselves to look at our experience in a different way than usual. Normally, you know, we look at it and we get sucked up in the story mm. and the victim and poor me or whatever, you know, we are becoming. 
that's one way, you know, that's the kind of way informed by ignorance and the way informed by, you know, the way out, so to say, is to look at experience and look at features of experience we usually don't look. And those are, you know, look at the impermanence of it, look at the unsatisfactoriness of it, and try to look for the self, because you can't find. So that's basically, you know, training the mind to look at different features of experience. And those three features, you know, they are called the three characteristics, or in Mahayana they are called the three seals, or there's many different ways how it can be called, but they are like the three, you know, dhamma gates into liberating the mind. We have to step through one of those three, you know, and actually if you step through one, you step through all three at the same time because they are very, you know, very deeply interconnected and they are just like three facets of the same insight, really. And depending on our character and, you know, maybe past practice, you know, one of those gates is more kind of meaningful, you know, and that's the one we most likely going to step through. And then, you know, the result would be those four stages of realization I spoke about yesterday, stream enterer, once returner, non-returner, arahant, and in the process of that, the ten fetters are cut permanently. You know, I spoke about those yesterday as well, you know, which keep us bound to the wheel of becoming. And so, you know, as you can hear, it's not kind of a complex template which we cannot understand. You know, it's actually pretty simple. But then really, you know, fulfilling the requirements is difficult, you know, and mostly because of the feeling tone because we have very low tolerance, you know, for feeling. And, you know, all of the people in the world who are addicted, for example, to whatever, you know, drinking or drugs or shopping, or, there are so many ways we can addict to something, they all are afraid of feeling tone, you know. They are especially having a problem on the second foundation of mindfulness because they equate, you know, unpleasant feeling with a lot of, you know, self-hatred, self-criticism, and then, you know, they spiral down in depression and the rest of it. And so we, that's the main thing, you know, to work on that capacity to be with the unpleasant feeling tone. And, you know, once we really know that this is the real issue, then it's not such a big deal anymore, you know, and... And in the suttas is also written, you know, one of the sentences I really like, you know, saying the Dhamma is for those who feel. You know, for the human beings who, just like our animal brothers and sisters, they also feel, you know, but they don't have capacity for becoming conscious, you know, of the conditioning. <coughs> but we can, you know, and therefore we actually have a extremely well positioned, you know, in that cosmology, that level which we are born into, being a human being, we have great capacity, you know, to free ourselves from what's called the distortions of perception. And uh, they are called the vipalasa, and 
and they are translated, you know, in different ways. Uh, Arjun Suchatos calls it distortions, Bhikkhu Bodhi calls it inversions, Joseph Goldstein calls it hallucinations of perceptions, and in the, you know, in the more, in the older translations, it was translated as perversions. And the word, you know, vipalasa, means, you know, literally turned upside down. And, you know, in the suttas, it's quite often mentioned at the end of a sutta, you know, if somebody has uh, gotten a teaching from the Buddha at the end, it often says, you know, the, I don't know literally exactly what it says, but something like, you know, the blessed one has turned up that which was turned upside down because of his teaching, you know. And and that's exactly, you know, what we also need to kind of work on, you know, to turn that which is upside down, to turn it back in the right way. And, uh, you know, it's it's... The whole teaching is about that, we could say. And uh, the distortions of perception, there are four, and they occur on three different levels in the mind. And, you know, the first level is kind of pretty mild. It's just simply distortion of perception. For example, you know, you go into the, go for a walk in the forest, and then you're looking on the forest floor and there's some long, dark-colored object and for a moment you think it's a snake and you jump. And then you look again and actually now it's only a stick. No problem, you can just keep walking. So that's an example of that level, you know. You see it and then you just look one more time and you need you, you can rectify it then and there and it doesn't have like a big impact on your life, you know. Because perception isn't like an objective way of seeing what is, but perception is also conditioned, you know. For example, a rotten piece of meat, you know, for a vulture, it's going to be a feast. And for us, it's, it's a horrible thing. We don't want to have anything to do with it. So, but we have a tendency, you know, to experience ourselves as the center of the universe, which cannot be right. You know, there is something kind of pretty uh, immature about that, I would think, you know. And as we see with, with climate change, you know, experience ourselves as the center of the planet at least and that everything else is just resource to make us more whatever, it isn't the right way of going about things. And if we don't really fully integrate that information, we're going to and we're not going to be around for much longer because we are not up to the job, really, you know, because any species which can't adapt is going to die out. And we are just one, you know, of so many. So that, you know, this, this kind of information has some very far-reaching implications, actually, you know. It's, it's an evolutionary next step which we need to be able to make you know as a species if we want to stay around and and that step is about to understand that we are part of a big web of life and we don't have a special dispensation you know by being able to, to just do what we like
So, so that's the first level, the level of perception. Mm-hmm. Then the second mm-hmm. level is thinking. For example, you know, going through the forest, seeing this long thing on the on the on the forest floor, thinking it's a snake, and then kind of realizing it's not a snake, but still the thinking about my fear about snakes gets kicked off. And and then I just turn around and go back home because I just, there's so much fear stirred up, I can't enjoy anymore walking in the forest. So that would be the next level. So, you know, it has, we have been already cultivating that way of perception through thinking about it. That's called mental proliferation or papancha in Pali. So that's the next level. And also there's already in, in medical profession might call it like a, a bit of a neurosis, you know, being kind of, you know, thinking a lot about something which is not a real threat. And then the next level is, that's very deep, and it is on the level of view. So then even, you know, we are presented with the, with different information, we just completely don't allow that information to come in. For example, you know, someone who might have a, like a phobia of snakes, you know, they don't want to go anywhere because they are afraid around any corner a snake is waiting. And then, you know, that has a really deep impact on our, our lives. So, you know, we can see it like... You know, I, I can see it in my own tradition about the bhikkhuni ordination, you know, that there are some lineages which, despite, you know, many kind of very well-known uh, teachers have written really impressive works about it, they either refuse to read it or they read it and they don't take it in. Because there's just like a, a closing down there, which is, you know, which is like, because there's some emotional inability to open up to the information and and then it becomes like a set view and and that is very difficult to dislodge you know so it can become the basis for wrong view which is you know uh, a problem on the path because the path starts actually with right view and we spoke about that yesterday <coughs> you know there's mundane right view and super mundane right view Super mundane right view is, is understanding, you know, that suffering comes from fixation and attachment. That's super mundane right view. And mundane right view is coming from understanding, you know, that there is generosity, there is that which is given, there is mother and father. It speaks about, you know, our worldly situation, you know, that we have received a lot for example, from our parents, you know, and that and if we are generous, if we give of ourselves, you know, of our, what we have, of our possessions and of our views and of our time, that this will have a meritorious impact, you know, onto our own situation. So if we are so stuck, you know, in a, in a certain view, uh, that means, you know, we don't understand, we don't see that connection. And, and that you know, right view is at the beginning of the path and it's very important to work on that, you know. And uh, 
otherwise, you know, it's like you just, if, if there's wrong view, it might be only a little bit, you know, but then if over a lifetime, if you just go, 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 go like this, you end, over there, end up over there. And one doesn't really, you know, in the present moment, one isn't aware of it because it can be only very slightly, you know. But then over lifetimes, it's just going to go, whoa, it's going to go in the completely wrong direction. So therefore, it's really important, you know, to uh, work on right view, to turn the things back into the right way. And so there's those three levels, perception, relatively easy to fix, you know. For example, you know, when you, you can just you take a microscope and look at something and you immediately see, you know, what's under the surface. So it's easy, remed- we can easy remedy it. The next one is mind, you know, having like some rumination about this. And the next one is view, being really very much stuck. And all three, you know, can be alleviated. But it gets increasingly more difficult. And those, you know, those inversions of perception are, the first one is seeing what is impermanent as permanent. For example, you know, experiencing everything as an unchanging thing because the sense organs display it that way. So this glass, you know, looks like unchanging, but we all know it is not. Then the next one is seeing what is painful as pleasant. The next one is seeing what is without a self as a self. And the last one is seeing what is not beautiful as beautiful. And, you know, and uh, especially the last one, you know, it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy beauty, but it's about, you know, bringing a balance into our perceptions, for example. Because that one, you know, the, the last one, seeing that which is not beautiful as beautiful, can be very, very captivating, as we all know, you know, especially when it's about, you know, sexual desires or, you know, desire for beautiful things that can become very, um, very strong and then it can really kind of captivate us to an extent so we are not able to pay attention to the other three levels, you know, through impermanence, unsatisfactoriness and not-self. So we have to especially, you know, first have enough insight into the true nature of things and uh, and we can start on the level of seeing that, you know, which is very fascinating and beautiful, seeing that it has also another side to it. And, uh, you know, there's different meditation techniques in the first foundation of mindfulness which can help with that, you know, for example, you know, looking at the, looking inside, kind of, in a meditation, looking inside the body and seeing the organs in the body, and looking underneath the skin, and then seeing, you know, body looks very beautiful, you know, we find some bodies very attractive and beautiful, and that's 
completely okay and why not, you know? But then also seeing, actually, if you peel off the skin, that body, it's, it's a very different situation underneath. And that can help, you know, to bring a balance. And then there's also, you know, meditating on uh, the elements can also help. And then also meditating on... Uh, different stages of decay of the body and when the body dies it's going to go back to nature and there's what's called the, the channel ground meditations you know, meditating on the body a dead body and then the body more and more decomposing and going back into the earth and then understanding you know, that's the, the fate of, of everybody no matter how beautiful and how attractive and how young a body is, at one point, it's going to go back into the mystery where it has come from, you know. And and that means, you know, that we are, again, you know, as I spoke about yesterday also, that we pay attention to the whole spectrum, not only to a, a snapshot, you know. But we, we start with birth and then pay attention to the endings as well, you know, which doesn't come easy. We have to train our minds to pay attention to endings, because endings aren't kind of for the usual, you know, for the untrained practitioner or for the untrained non-practitioner. I have to say, you know, they usually don't pay attention to endings, but jumping to the next beginning, you know, to just stay on that level of excitement because that is feels good, you know. And so we have to really kind of take our minds and really put, you know, give them instructions, you know, to, to really pay attention to those features of experience we usually don't pay attention to. And then we are completing the picture. We, we start to have a much more realistic perspective on what it is, you know, to be a human being. And then, you know, we're filling in all of those spaces, you know, which are empty, you know, on the map of reality. And then it gets more and more in accordance with the way things really are. And that's, and then at one point, you know, it's just gonna result in, in deep insight. It's like, you know, you're paying onto your bank account and at one point, bang, you know, suddenly you have, you know, your interest comes back. And and that's exactly what we're doing. In any moment, there's mindfulness, you know, you, you're paying on this kind of bank account, you know. And then you, you're collecting more and more information and then when the time is right, it's going to result in insight. And then, you know, your life is gonna start to change because you are you have changed. You have gotten less thick, you know. So you're more in touch with the way things really are. So yeah, I think you know, I really like this uh, Vipalasa Sutta. It's in the Anguttara Nikaya of the in the fours. And uh, 
So I'm just going to mention those one more time. Seeing what is impermanent, anicca, as permanent, nicca, that teaches us about attachment. That, you know, if we fixate on that which is impermanent, suffering will be the result. Seeing what is painful, dukkha, as pleasant, sukha. You know, and <coughs> we can see, you know, the, the kind of consumerist world calls renunciation dukkha and, and the Buddha calls renunciation the opposite of dukkha. The Buddha calls, you know, renunciation is the way how we can lessen dukkha. You know, and we have to just do it methodically, whatever we can handle. You know, we don't have to, you know, immediately kind of, you know, give up everything, shave our head and, and leave on the street. That would not work, you know. But we can just do whatever we can do and just keep on going in the right direction, you know. But for that we need to have right view because if we don't have it, we're just going to end up somewhere. And then seeing what is without a self, anatta, a self, atta. You know, starting to in understand the interconnectedness of all things. As Thich Nhat Hanh calls it so beautifully, interbeing, you know, understanding that we are just a little part of a very big being, you know, or a very big process. And, you know, being interested in understanding that. And the fourth one is seeing what is not beautiful, asuba, as beautiful, suba. In order to bring balance, you know. Not in order to bring up, you know, disgust or anything like this, but to bring balance. And, you know, and as long as we don't really have right view, we can still, you know, we can still get from the books information what right view is all about and then just use that, you know, as, as, as information. And right view is the first of the eight links of the Noble Eightfold Path because it's very important, you know, to uh, at least, you know, intellectually hold it and then just, you know, use it as a reflection. And then check, you know, one's own impulses against this right view and then know, you know, what you can follow and what you try not to follow in order to go, you know, to go in the, into the right direction. And then what's also, you know, helpful maybe is to see, you know, that, uh, you know, if there is a kind of a conflict between people, you know, to see that we are all conditioned, you know. And we all, you know, see things from our own point of view. And we can't really make an ontological statement about anything. You know, for example, this table, I experience this table as solid. But that doesn't mean that this table is, you know, in itself solid. Because in itself, this table doesn't really exist. It exists of many causes and conditions 
such as elements, you know, which are coming together for a certain amount of time. So it's all only about our subjective experience. We can only work on that because there is nothing else beyond that, you know, because depending in which realm we are born, we experience things accordingly, you know. So for a, you know, for a, let's say, for a elk, you know, an elk wouldn't experience this as a table. Or like another animal, you know, has different ways of, of seeing, for example. I've heard, you know, in, in the uh, trajectory of evolution, I think there's 40 different ways, you know, of eyes have been, have been you know, coming up. And we are just like, we're having one particular expression of that, but it is not superior to other ways of seeing, you know. And to really kind of allow that information to change ourselves, I think that's really why we are doing this, you know, to be able to live much more in harmony with reality. And then, you know, our suffering will increase decrease accordingly, you know, because if you're not going against the way things are, then there's much less tension and stress. And, you know, our lives take on more ease, really. And, and that ease, you know, allows us actually to see even more. And... That's the way, you know, the practice goes deeper and deeper into reality. And then, you know, we are escaping into reality rather than from it. That's a beautiful saying of Bhante Gunaratana, escaping into reality rather from it, rather than from it. And I think that's, you know, what the Buddha is offering, to follow him into reality. and peel off those distortions of perception. And, you know, of course, you know, as being born in the human realm, we have to agree on certain ways of doing things, you know, and we have names and professions and passports and computers and all of that. We need that, you know, because we need to... Uh, take care of our bodies and because they do exist because you know we have them and it's quite a lot of work actually to look after a body as you know it's it's a huge burden really but you know it's it's not what meets the eye you know it's a very different situation and, you know, we can look after our bodies and, you know, have relationships and, you know, have children and have professions and all the rest of it. But at the same time, you know, knowing that there is much more to this life than looking after a body. The body is just like the vehicle, you know, for the mind. And... 
you know, being born into a human body is considered a very fortunate situation. And, you know, because if we're born lower than that, there's be so much stress and suffering that there will be no time, you know, to reflect on reality. And if, if we are born above that realm, there's too much pleasure and no initiative, you know, is coming forth for wanting to know. So it's a very good situation, the mix, you know, between suffering and pleasure and also the, you know, having experienced moments of liberation, at least temporarily, you know, that gives us a kind of a foretaste, you know. My first teacher, Ajahn Buddha Dasa, called it, you know, little nibbanas. When the mind, you know, is not under the sway of any of the hindrances, it's a taste of that. It's just, you know, impermanent, but nevertheless, it's a little sample. Therefore, it's really important to savor those moments, you know, to kind of uh, acquaint the mind with that so that it wants to go back, you know, wants to go back there. So, I think that's all I wanted to mention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.